five, four, three, two, one. John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about direct mail today. Uh, let's get over to Tom Fishburn, Focus Groups and the Oracles of Eden Prairie. It's interesting because I was just up there in Eden Prairie or went next door to it on my way to Burnsville uh, down I-35W. And uh, the decision is, this was, some of them I really do laugh out loud and some of them, most I don't, of course, because I'm a marketing guy and I know the idiocy of it all. This decision is so important. Let's leave it up to whoever we can find willing to give up an afternoon <laughs> for free snacks and a Starbucks gift card. In other words, you know, that's how they recruit people to go to the uh, to go to the focus group. And uh, oh, he's got some really good ones on focus groups. I don't think I've ever actually. I think I've been in one once maybe um but it was more like a training one than it was like uh or you know it's a lot like it's a lot like these strategic planning meetings <laughs> so we've got a little bit on that for you today okay this cartoon is less about focus groups than how we use focus groups or really any type of market research or really any type of market speculation one of the things you got to understand is is that Marketing in general is predicting the future, trying to guess the future. You know, I used to be really intimidated that the accounting people, all their numbers added up. <laughs> you know, and I'm predicting the inventory levels and the response rates out, you know, for a year and sales and, you know, profitability of all of our campaigns. You know, and the accounting guys would say, well, you're off by 2%. You know, how come you're so sloppy? And I, I didn't really think about it until later, you know, that, shoot, let's, let's, let's have you predict, let's have, let's, let's, let's have a contest. You predict next year's numbers instead of looking at this year's past numbers, right? So don't feel too bad. And 2% would be like, hit it out of the park. I think for that particular client who I'm trying to get back to work with, um, and maybe we'll know this week, and I'll let you know. But I'm really excited about it. Uh, but try to try to. Um, I think for six years I had I had two years where I was like over five percent variance, and I had four years where I was between or two years between I was two and five percent, and and two years where I was under two percent. Okay, let's see you do that. Anyway, so marketing is trying to do something impossible, and we use any kind of crazy ideas to, to get there. Uh, so focus groups are part of it. But years ago, Fishburn overheard some agency friends joke about the Oracles of Eden Prairie, which is up in Minneapolis area, southwest of town. Eden Prairie is a suburb of Minneapolis, and there's lots of focus groups. The strange process... <laughs> They went on to describe the strange process of bringing in new ideas for campaigns or new products uh, or packaging designs to be judged by the oracles of Eden Prairie. Eight randomly selected people who had no idea how much power their words held on, held on whether these products and ideas made it. 
Um, but frequently we ask questions that anyone would have trouble answering, like artic articulating the their unmet consumer needs. You know, and the, the truth is, you know, if we have an itch, we scratch it. But if we don't have an itch, we don't think about it. <laughs> you don't just start scratching for no reason, right? And so the need to scratch is connected to the sensation of itching. <laughs> and if you're not in the itchy, you're not having any itchy sensations, it's really hard to speculate. You know, ask yourself, what am I going to buy next? Let's And let's make it fun. Next month. You know, and maybe you got something on the docket that you're going to buy a car or you're finally going to buy that house you've been dreaming about, you know, or you're going to leave the rat race and buy a sailboat and sail around the world. More and more people are doing that. Uh, but but besides that, you know, and you say, well, I probably need trash bags and I think we just ran out of eggs. <laughs> but, you know, there's sort of these these huge lifelong dreams and then there's these trivial consumer things that you don't put much thought into and see what's on sale, Okay. So, uh, so the all-knowing, I once drew, uh, oracles of, <laughs> I once drew the oracles of Eden Prairie in a cartoon on top of a mountain with a marketer climbing to ask, oh, all-knowing focus group, tell me your unmet consumer needs so that we can create a disrupt, disruptive innovations for you. And the oracles replied, more promotions, make everything cheaper. <laughs> That's like when uh, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar asked his wise men, you know, looking out over his great empire, what what one thing could he chisel into stone that would always be true? And they came back a couple of weeks later and they said, this too shall pass. <laughs> Make it cheaper. Give us a better deal. <laughs> Okay, Stephen Gans at Pepsi recently talked about using an AI tool called TasteWise to search for new snack flavor ideas, and they came up with seaweed. If you would have asked consumers, let us know what you think would be a great flavor for this brand, no one would have ever come up with seaweed. People don't associate that. <laughs> People don't associate that typically with specialty snack from a brand. But because of ki the kind of listening and, and the outside in, in work we did, we were able to figure that out through the AI that's embedded with that tool. And it's like I'm thinking to myself, okay, take all the tastes that you can think of. Just write them all down. Or, you know, go online and say, tastes. Food tastes or something, something general, and it you you and then make a list of all of them, and then say we're gonna make a snack out of whatever we draw out of this hat. You know, put them in. And you might as well do that. You know, AI isn't predicting that this is gonna work. It just happened to hit on seaweed. I don't know. Uh, treating any source of consumer insight as an oracle. <laughs> can lead you, often lead you astray, right? They're all tools for decision-making, but shouldn't re replace decision-making itself. Ah. And this is what I've been getting at. You know, so much of the marketing world, uh, uh, my my sister uh, is a, in marketing, and, and we were laughing about some of the crazy stuff that marketing come up, comes up with. Here's some good ones. 
All-knowing focus group, tell us your unmet consumer needs. Here he is coming up to the top of the mountain. More promotions. Make everything cheaper. (laughs) Sometimes he really nails it. That was a good one. We're having a focus group to test questions to ask in our next focus group. You know, let's have a meeting about our next meeting. I would definitely choose the kale to... (laughs) The kale tofu salad, tofu salad over the crispy bacon cheeseburger. Definitely. Does anyone want that last donut? And this is a problem with focus groups. And, you know, here you have what people say. You know, there was a famous study. uh, You know, I always like to say that. (laughs) Famous study. And uh, it, it was about, and they, they laid out all their products and said, you know, what, what, what looks good here? And uh, the people talked about, you know, what they liked and what they didn't like and what they thought. And then after they got done with the focus group, there was a table outside the door and they said, well, just take anything you'd like. Uh, just take one, please. But, you know, whichever one you'd like. And so they after they <laughs> everybody left, they they wrote down there was no correlation between what they had said they liked and what they took off the table. And they went with what got taken off the table, and that was the home run. And so, you know, what we say we like, you know, ask ask 100 people, would you be more interested in an ad that was about something that you felt you need, or would you rather see ads that you, that you would, about things you'd never need? And I used the example of cigarettes, which we used to see ads for, or ladies, <laughs> ladies support garments. Those used to be on TV a lot, you know, and when you're when you're 10 or 11 or 12 or something, you might be really curious about that. But I've never bought any of that stuff. Well, not, no, not really. Um, I'm not going to go any any further into that. But anyway, so Pinocchio's here and his nose is growing about the tofu salad, but he wants the last donut. So here's a person that's interested in junk food, but says they that says they want kale tofu salad uh here's one where the the observers this is typically a one-way mirror uh i don't like it Poof. me neither Poof. and then we get rid of them and we keep the people that we want to listen to and this is a good one and it basically it has a lot of chatter and then it says our director likes likes uh option eight so that's probably what we'll do <laughs> In other words, doesn't listen to anybody really. And here's the article that Tom references with Grace Mahas, um, AI-generated food concepts, and um, this is this is about Pepsi's seaweed experiment uh, with Stefan Gras, chief consumer insights and analytics officer. That's a mouthful. Okay. The brand also leverages black swan data, examines social conversations around food on Reddit, Twitter, blogs, and review boards to get social prediction. Now we got to get rid of that person. Hey, it's the same person. It's spam risk again. I get a lot of those. That same person calling me. Uh, here's one I liked. One notable innovation that came out from the research was off the eaten path. A seafood-based savory snack. I wonder if it still exists. I'll have to look that up for you. Okay. Now, last, we're going to just take a second 
and we're going to look at number four here because it was a pretty easy one to talk about. And uh, if I can get, to, I should have. I, I thought I saved it, and I thought it was going to come up just exactly the way I saved it, but it doesn't. Direct mail is trackable, and this is from Neil Patel, and uh, he says technically there's no automatic way to track direct mail response rates. And I don't know what he means by that. Anytime you, anytime we send out a catalog, we would put a key code, and we would say to the. I mean, maybe this isn't automatic, but you know, we would say to the telecenter. Make sure you get that key code. Now, oftentimes they would make them up, and that would kind of throw things off. But also, uh, when we got to the web, then we would just say, you know, get an extra uh, $5 off or something if you if you put in your key code from the back of the magazine. Is, is, that, is that not automatic? I don't know. I suppose somebody has to put it in. But now you have a QR code, and you can, if you like shopping on your phone, you can, you can put the QR code. You can put a QR code in every at every item. I never see anybody doing it at the catalog level. I don't know why they don't do it, at least on some of the popular items. Uh, save me some time. My kids love shopping off their phone. Take me right to it. Um, that seems pretty automatic. But then Neil contrasts that with a Facebook ad. Unlike a Facebook ad, you can't track that user, that the user went from your ad to your product page. You know, and, and and oftentimes, you know, somebody will just tear out the catalog, the page, and they wouldn't have the key code, which is okay. But we would still track it back. You know, some clients of mine actually changed every item number to correspond to that catalog. And uh, there's a, I mean, you can do an enormous amount to, depending on the level of tracking that you like. Um, but I would contend that this is false, that you don't know who saw your ad in Facebook. You put in a geodemographic, unless you're uploading the names, which almost no one even knows is possible. It is possible, uploading the addresses and saying to Facebook, make sure these all get to see the ad. Um, but almost no one does that. Almost everyone does a sort of a geodemographic select because they want a prospect and they don't have the addresses of the prospects, right? They're not going to rent a list to then submit it to Facebook. At least I'd, I've never heard of anybody doing it. Um, and so, therefore, you don't know what users saw your ad. All you can do is take Facebook's word for it that all of these people who went to your ad came from Facebook. Now, never mind if you also mailed people, uh, especially if you rented lists, they may have gone from your ad to their Facebook page. They may have said, that looks really interesting. And then maybe they just happened to be stumbled upon in Facebook. But they were, but your ad triggered the thought in their head that I think I may, might want that, the itch. And then they go to Facebook and then they're tracked and he makes this point. Maybe a customer visits your website after seeing direct mail piece. While this person would count as a direct, as a, as a lead from your website, they should be a lead from your direct mail campaign. But wait, we just said direct mail is trackable. Yeah, well, all you have to do, and he never gets to this. I actually highlighted this. Uh, no, it must be down further. Um, oh, yeah, there it is. How about matchback? See, when you start with a mailing list, you can match right back to who you mailed. And when they order and they want to ship it to their address, then you've got a pretty tight link. Now, you know, you're not going to get everybody, but it's about as good as anything else. Uh, you know, digital transformation or uh, attribution 
favors digital advertising. <laughs> we know when you take Facebook's word for it or Google's word for it, all these all these people <clears throat> came from your came from our ads that you that you had us place. You know. Well, good luck with that. There's all kinds of articles about how spurious that is, right? Whereas direct mail, we know exactly who we sent it to. We know they saw it. Or for, let's back up. We know who we sent it to. We know it got delivered, unlike Facebook. We know it went to a decision maker because you don't let your kids pick up the mail. And we know that the person made a decision. Because you have to decide. Direct mail doesn't throw itself away. They made a decision to set it aside for later or to trash it or to order. And that is real trackability. We're not tracking clicks. You know, we're not tracking persistence or time on the website. We're tracking orders. Direct mail is more trackable than anything in digital, I would contend. Because in digital, we don't know who sees the ad. Same thing with mass media. Okay. So anyway, this is the danger of <laughs> getting excited about direct mail without getting the old sage involved. So give me a call if you're thinking about direct mail. We had a wonderful time in in uh, in Minnetonka on Thursday. Uh, sorry you missed it. We'll have a we'll have a regular uh, one of our regular Zoom meetings coming up shortly, probably the early part of May. So have a great day. Like and share. Don't forget to comment on the on the shrubbery. Bye-bye. <laughs>